0: In 1988, the American battery company Energizer put out its first broadcast of uh, the famous drumming bunny commercial, and that's what I've put up there. Uh, this pink battery powered rabbit with sunglasses beating on a bass drum, uh, never stopping. In all the commercials that followed after the initial one, the character wanders its way on screen, keeps beating its drum, and then wanders off. In a series of commercials, just keep beating that drum. And the Energizer message was clear. Their batteries just kept going on and on. They they keep going and going and going. And this mascot has somehow found its way into everyday vernacular speech, It comes to mean uh, someone who seems to be untiring and limitless. Wow, he goes on and on like an energizer bunny. Nothing seems to tire that energizer bunny out. Uh, But I wonder if anyone else is tickled by the fact that this marketing campaign is so ironic. The mascot with the inexhaustible power source Sells disposable batteries. Uh, I think this paradox uh, holds out some interesting questions for us. Is it possible to just keep going on and on and on? Is it desirable even? Isn't there a goodness about a kind of inbuilt redundancy? Are limitless power sources just a myth? Or if we speak in human terms the human capacity for pure determination and grit. Is that unrealistic? Perhaps these are some questions that you've had, or actually I've been having, as we've been studying the book of Hebrews this year. The constant exhortations to endure in the faith can feel like we are just being called to be the energizer bunny. Every Christian will fall grow tired, age out, meet setbacks. So is Christianity secretly a faith of disposables, masquerading as a limitless power source? Is that why we speak of Christians who burn out or cool off in our zeal? And is it all really inevitable? Well, for this reason, the great Puritan preacher John Owen said that the book of Hebrews is as useful to the church as the sun is uh, as the sun in the firmament is unto the world. So for the Christian the book of Hebrews when properly understood is really solar power with this one conclusion we persevere because Christ is better. And the call of Hebrews to the church in its original context, was that under the persecution and hardship, with church members imprisoned, chapter 13, verse 3, property plundered, chapter 10, verse 32, that Christians under this kind of opposition must meet action with an equal opposite reaction and push forward. So in the first 11 chapters, we learned six truths to consider Christ. Christ, who is God's final word, the perfect mediator, the better priest, the truer rest, and the better sacrifice, who establishes a greater covenant. And knowing Jesus this way spurs the Christian on in the race of faith. And we are cheered on this route By the heroes of faith and the models who have gone on before us. So the shift from chapter 12 moves from our power source in Christ to the present race of faith. And in our text, in chapter 12, verse 3 and following, we dive deep into the topic of Christian endurance what it looks like to endure, why we endure, and how we endure. So let me invite you to turn in your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 12 as I read the whole passage for us. That's found on page 948 in the Pew Bible, 948. This is God's Word. Consider him who endured, such, who endured from sinners such hostility against himself. It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? If you are left without discipline in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Besides this, we have had earthly fathers who discipline us and we respected them. This is God's word. Would you join me to pray? Father, as we give attention to your word this morning, we trust that you will equip us to do your will. Thank you for scripture that instructs and enables by your spirit. Help us now to receive instruction. Trust your pledge and respond to your call. For the glory of Jesus, in whose name we pray. Amen. So if you are taking notes, uh, the big idea of our text gives us the pattern, the purpose, and the practice of Christian endurance as we face opposition. So those are the three points, the pattern, purpose, and practices of Christian endurance. Hebrews is a profoundly thoughtful book and whereas we meditated on the glory of Christ as we considered Him in chapter 3, verse 1, now we consider Him in the opposition that He faced. The verb consider in chapter 12, verse 3 is the same verb in chapter 3, verse 1, analogizomai, from which we get the word analogy or comparison. Here the comparison is not against the glories of Christ, the royal son or priest. Now we consider him who endured from sinners hostility against himself. So we consider our first point, the pattern of our endurance. Christ Jesus himself was opposed, verses 3 and 4. Why think about this? The text tells us the reason Understanding the pattern of our endurance helps us know that if our Lord was opposed and suffered, the servants should not be surprised. We should not be easily thrown off as we grow weary and lose heart when others oppose us for Christ's sake. For the original readers, thinking on Christ's sufferings helped them understand the persecution they were enduring. They were just walking in Jesus' own cross-shaped footsteps? Why did their fellow Jews call them a cult and persecute them, ostracizing them from society? Why did the Roman authorities accuse them of being cannibals, accuse them of being uh, sexually immoral and persecute them? Well, think on the pattern of Christ himself. The scriptures tell us that in his birth, King Herod tried to murder him. As he began ministry, he faced prejudice as people thought. Nothing good could come from Nazareth. The religious teachers who saw him as a rival and threat to their profiteering, they laid traps for him. They hoped he would fall. Whenever he taught, they would look for errors. His accusers in court were Jewish as he was brought before a Roman and Herodian court and trumped-up charges were put against him, false witnesses came up against him. And those who knew he was innocent did nothing to intervene, and his friends abandoned him when he needed them the most. The Scriptures call Jesus Christ, rightly, a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief. And yet, with all the cross and its shame, it could not deter him as he endured the cross chapter 12 verse 2 scorning the shame that cross was the ultimate symbol that the world opposed him and he endured it still yet while the early church suffered pain for jesus sake they did not yet face martyrdom at this point is there anyone here today who feels wary from being a christian Faith in Christ will certainly lead to persecution of one kind or another, rejection of one kind or another. You could be a believer whose spouse opposes your faith, or a child who fears that your parents will be hostile to you if they know you're a Christian. If you're an elder, a parent, a Sunday school teacher, or a CG leader trying to be faithful, to what God has called you to do, you will not be appreciated in leadership. From time to time, you will be rejected. Or perhaps you're paying the price for a decision to be faithful in the workplace or in a relationship, and it's cost you privilege. It may have cost you promotion, a partner, personal peace. Friends, if that's you today, there is a pattern a pattern that we are following. It is the Lord's pattern. We walk in His footsteps. Consider Him. Suffering for His sake is never a matter of the luck of the draw. We should be clear-eyed and sober-minded about our suffering. We know that we will suffer because 2 Timothy chapter 3 says, all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Of course, No one should be a Christian suffering for being a meddler or for obvious sins or foolish decisions that we take no responsibility for. 1 Peter 4.15 But as we suffer for our faith, consider Christ's own sufferings that are a pattern for ours so that we will not grow weary and lose heart. Like the Apostle Paul, We know that this pattern means we share in the fellowship of his sufferings. Philippians 3.10 And in this, we are not alone, even here in Singapore. As we pray for nations around the world, friends, we should learn to pray with and lament also for the persecuted church around the world. We pray that brothers and sisters facing martyrdom for Christ or the cost of following him would be made strong and by endurance so gain their lives. It should remind us to pray for ourselves that our faithful witness would not bring them disgrace. We need these reminders in this race because we are so prone to think otherwise about suffering. And that's why the writer asks in verse 5, the next question, which leads us to the purpose of endurance. God's son's, are disciplined for fruitfulness, verses 5 to 11. To clear our suffering muddled heads, we are challenged to remember the reason. Why are you suffering for Christ at all? And, and the, the writer continues his habit of referring to Old Testament scripture to make this point. Now, multiple GBC preachers have stood right here and made this observation as we've moved through Hebrews. The writer of Hebrews quotes from Genesis psalm 2 psalm 110 and now he turns to proverbs 3 which was read for us just now this is an important thing before we get into that uh, proverbs 3 itself remember how instructive it is that hebrews teaches us how to read the bible we interpret scripture in the light of scripture Uh, more than reason more than our tradition More than our experiences, we read Scripture in the light of Scripture. So Proverbs 3 instructs us, we must come to see hardship and hostility in the right way. Now follow this. There are two ways that he assumes we can regard the Lord's discipline. First, one way of looking at suffering despises the Lord's discipline and reproof. Well, how does that work? Well, as we are suffering in our pain, we can presume many things. We can make false assumptions about God. A God who is sovereign, but is perhaps being careless or cruel with me, that there is no purpose to this pain. That God has the the power to deliver me, but He is now merely leaving me to suffer, and that's all there is. The other way is to approach pain with a proper understanding of God's character, to receive it with the right mind, and to believe that God's purposes for pain are good. Now, in this, we are aware that suffering is not random, but we suffer as God's sons, purposefully redeemed and adopted through Christ Jesus, as Galatians 4 explains for us. So verses 7 to 8 then build on what is said in Proverbs 3, right? God's loving discipline is the proof that we are legitimate children and sons. And you endure discipline because of your sonship. The language of sonship here uh, is not misogynistic. Uh, In the context of the ancient world, sons were the legal recognized heirs who were willed and prepared to manage their father's estate. So the contrast of being a son here in our text is son against illegitimate children. It's not son against daughter. Now the best example of legal sonship we have in the ancient world is of the Roman leader Octavian, who was grandnephew to Emperor Julius Caesar. Caesar named his grandnephew. nephew be his heir even though he could have named octavian's mother which is his sister or octavian's father which is his uh uh, his nephew uh, and who was another roman general so by legal adoption octavian became the heir of caesar and was later himself crowned caesar augustus and received uh, the sonship he's mentioned of course in Luke chapter 2 verse 1. That's one of the most famous examples. And that's the kind of thinking that we have in our text. Verses 9 to 10 use a lesser to greater logic to develop this idea as we think about God's own character and fatherly discipline. If we respect our earthly fathers for their discipline, then why don't we subject ourselves? Why don't we submit To our heavenly father the one who is the father of spirits this comparison compares the status of our fathers and then while earthly fathers discipline is temporary and based on their limited judgment our heavenly father's discipline has a different purpose a better one it is for good to share in holiness this compares the difference in the Father's ability. In other words, the question we are being asked is, will we suffer with the right understanding, enduring suffering, not as random, but as sons' enduring discipline who trust our loving Heavenly Father, believing that He is purpose, purposeful and able to work out fruit from our pain. Friends, think about how distinct Christian teaching on suffering is from other faiths. One view teaches that suffering is the result of the faults of our past lives. So the purpose of your pain in this life is to endure it well so that in your next life, you continue to do better. You did it. You suffer for it. Another view teaches that suffering is the result of too much attachment and if we can detach ourselves from desire we'll understand and we'll see through the fact that there is really no pain at all no desire no self no nothing pain is the result of attachment now in both of these views we see a karmic logic that really sounds more like the friends of job this is why pain exists. It's like that. Just deal with it. See how differently the book of Hebrews talks about pain and suffering. Your father who loves you has a good purpose for your suffering. It will come about for your good. And that's why we endure. It may still be a mystery to us even as it's happening because no one enjoys Discipline at the moment, says Hebrews 12, verse 11. But it will yield the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Friends, if you're a non Christian here today, I hope you are hearing about how wonderful this promise is. That the Bible teaches that for the Christian, suffering will cause us to bear fruit, even godly character. And we believe that God is not out to get us through our pain because we are confident that Jesus Christ has fully satisfied God's wrath and we have peace with God in Him. So God can offer us eternal life out of Christ's death and His empty tomb follows His cross. And so then for us, we believe that, that painful discipline can surely yield the peaceful fruit of righteousness. But my non-Christian friend, if you're here, please do not, please do not presume that that will be true automatically for all. Without the work of Jesus Christ applied on your behalf, God's wrath remains on you. The one who made you has a claim over you and he will not and cannot leave sins unpunished. So I urge you today to respond to him. This God who sent Jesus Christ to die on the cross for our sins and raised him for new life so that forgiveness and peace could be declared in his name. He can be your savior today if you would repent of your sins and trust him. And if that's something you'd like to talk about, Uh, Please come forward. I'd love to have a chat with you. We invite you to come and speak to one of the elders or the friend that brought you here. But for the Christian, Jesus transforms our experience of suffering from God's condemnation to loving discipline. The English preacher, C.H. Spurgeon, put it this way in a wonderful sermon entitled, A Happy Christian. I quote, This is just the mark of difference between the Christian and the worldling. The worldling blesses God while he gives him plenty, but the Christian blesses him when he smites him. He believes him to be too wise to err and too good to be unkind. He trusts him where he cannot trace him, looks up to him in the darkest hour and believes all is well. So the pattern of endurance, Christ was opposed. The purpose of endurance, God's sons are disciplined for fruitfulness. And finally, what do we do? The practices of endurance. Now we are no mere energizer bunnies. We have options and choices and decisions and wisdom that we need to exercise in this Christian life as we endure. So as we get practical, the text gives us three levels of practice. First, personal, then relational, and finally for the church. Lest we think that endurance in Christ means that we do nothing, we maintain the status quo, or we just keep beating on the drum and keep walking on without thinking, we have these three instructions. First, verses 12 to 13. Personal decisions to persevere. See how these verses connect with the earlier race allusion from chapter 12, verses 1 to 3. And they connect also with, the, with Proverbs 3 about not running in our own strength. So the Christian here is an athlete, perhaps weary some point in the race. Maybe it's uphill. Maybe he's nursing an injury. It's a particularly challenging time. The writer probably had in mind the temptation to turn back at this point to Judaism or to another faith. To be turned out of the way is literally to turn away from the Gospel. Maybe this looks like faith that becomes more private and less public. Evangelism, let's put it on the back burner too likely to offend. Or maybe be a bit more open-minded about other faith possibilities. Community life is exhausting. Maybe take a break from church. Maybe life is easier a bit. Time for hobbies. No. Hebrews cheers us on to speed up at this point in the race. Keep on the straight road. Run forward. That's what verse 12 says. And almost certainly, at this point, the writer has in mind Proverbs 3. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him, and He will make straight your paths. Be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord. Turn away from evil. It will be healing to your flesh and refreshment to your bones. You see how the the language of Proverbs 3 is what the writer of Hebrews is picking up on as he's developing this idea. The metaphor now is mixed as we are warned against living the Christian life on our own terms, and we are called to persevere on God's. Run the straight path. How? Be wary of yourself. Be wary of pride in yourself. Realize that these spiritual infirmities that come about because we are weak, they can be healed. How? Through the consistency of faith. Verse 13 is quite an amazing verse. Look at it. Keep running straight path and what was lame will actually find its way into the original place. I don't know how that works medically, but that's that's what we are being urged to do. So if there's anyone here who feels tempted to give up on your walk with God, if you're a young person and you're tempted to explore what it looks like to deconstruct your faith, pick the bits that you like, toss out the bits that hurt, make our own version, beware of your pride. I hope you will hear me because at this point in the christian life as pain comes in we are the most tempted to give ourselves our own version of christianity on the other hand look to god's limitless resources he giveth more grace when the burdens grow greater He sendeth more strength when the labours increase. To added affliction, he addeth his mercy to multiplied trials, his multiplied peace. His love has no limit, his grace has no measure, his power no boundary known to men. For out of his infinite riches in Jesus, he gives and he gives and he gives again. When we have exhausted our store of endurance, when our strength has failed, the day is half done. When we reach the end of our hoarded resources, our Father's full giving is only begun. Perhaps you're someone else and you're saying, okay, I'm really not going through hardship right now. What about me? Friends, as you have heard, suffering will surely come. Opposition will surely come in your faith. So now is actually the best time to prepare so that hard days will not knock you off. Would you turn with me in your Bibles to Luke chapter 21, which is on page 827. And I'd like you to see how Jesus girds His disciples with preparation with these words. But before all this, they will lay their hands on you and persecute you delivering you up to the synagogues and prisons, and you will be brought before kings and governors for my name's sake. This will be your opportunity to bear witness. Settle it, therefore, in your minds, not to meditate beforehand how to answer, for I will give you a mouth and wisdom which none of your adversaries will be able to withstand or contradict. You will be delivered up even by parents and brothers and relatives and friends, and some of you they will put to death, you will be hated by all for my name's sake, but not a hair of your head will perish. By your endurance, you will gain your lives. The lesson Jesus gives is that the one is that one of the best things we should do is to prepare for opposition, way ahead of time. So sleepy Christians in our midst, wake up. Wise is the man who invests in a reserve of truth and confidence in peacetime that during war he has ample reserve. So we endure with our personal decisions to keep running forward and resisting the drift. A second we see in verses 14, the relationships that we need to look at in the practices of endurance. Now, there's a horizontal and vertical dimension to this, which are connected. And we often underestimate how our relationships with others affects spiritual endurance. And I want to say this loud and clear. Our relationships will affect our ability to endure. Verse 14 says, Strive for peace with everyone, and for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. You see the vertical and the horizontal both there? Now, I'm reminded this week, I had a conversation with a child. She was trying to help a teacher do a task. And she was helping, and an unhappy unhappy classmate turned to her and said, mind your own business. (laughs) And like every child doesn't know how to deal with conflict, she recoiled to avoid it. And she stopped doing what the teacher asked her to do. Christian life is not that different. It's almost like the writer of Hebrews wants you to know that your outstanding conflicts are so powerful, they're powerful enough to knock you off in the pursuit of holiness. Broken relationships and lingering anger can be a powerful conduit for unholy bitterness. So what does it mean to strive for peace? The, the, the verb here for strive is a fascinating verb. This is from the, uh, the dictionary I looked up. The, the verb means to pursue, persecute, or systematically harass as pursuing a person on foot or striving toward a goal with intensity. That was the quote, not me. Strive for peace. Friends, holy people cherish the wholeness of our relationships. It means we resolve to please God, to represent Him well. We choose to overlook faults. We make a choice not to take offence. The moment you start doing that, it becomes a habit. It's a pattern. Choose not to take offence. And when offence is taken, when harsh words are spoken, Track down your brother until he forgives you. Pursue him. Choose to reconcile. And what's at stake? Verse 14. The holiness without which no one can see the Lord. The choice and the order of the Beatitudes come to mind. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. What's the one right after that? Blessed are the peacemakers for they shall be called sons of God. Friends, do we understand the divine connection between these two Beatitudes? Or in our text, why striving for peace and the holiness without which no one can see the Lord come together? So is your heart pure before God? Will we be peacemakers before Him? Or live with poisonous gossip, a complaining spirit, or self-righteousness. Our last point of application is a word for the church, verses 15 to 17. So take your eyes there. Who would you say the writer is addressing? Verses 15 to 17. See to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God. Now, I put it to you, this is a charge to a group of people. It's a charge to the congregation. So while the leaders of the church, even the elders who are up here just now, we must initiate the right actions. We must do the right thing. But the congregation must spur one another on towards love and good works. We heard that in Hebrews 10. Restore each other when we fall. And here, deal with the root of bitterness. Now, what's that about? Deuteronomy 29, verses 18 to 19 help to explain this. The Lord there warns Israel uh, as they are about to enter the promised land. And He says this, Beware, lest there be among you a man or a woman or clan or tribe whose heart is turning away today from the Lord our God to go and serve the gods of those nations. Beware lest there be among you a root bearing poisonous and bitter fruit, one who, when he hears the words of this sworn covenant, blesses himself in his heart, saying, I shall be safe, though I walk in the stubbornness of my heart. This will lead to the sweeping away of moist and dry alike. So a root of bitterness can be a man, a woman, a clan, or a tribe. It's people. It's the people of God. uh, It's the people that the people of God need to take action over. And Hebrews raises the example there of Esau. So what's that about? This wayward son... Caused so much spiritual grief to his parents. Esau, the heir to the covenant promises of God, as the older son of the patriarch. The moment he's described, he is in the grip of ungodly desire, sexual desire, for Hittite, unbelieving women, the women of the nations. And Genesis 26:35 says that Esau's lust and desire made life bitter for his parents. And it should be no surprise that a man who is under the grip of the flesh will casually trade God's blessings for one hot meal. Moments of pleasure were greater to Esau than God's blessings. And what was cheap to him, he came to later realize, were deeply valuable blessings. And as he tried with tears and grief to get it back, Hebrews 12 tells us that it was not marked by true repentance. We should be sobered by the differences between the worldly grief of getting caught from the true repentance of the heart. 2 Corinthians 7, Paul there warns us that there is such a thing as worldly grief that's different from godly grief that produces true repentance, that turns sincerely to God, not just for His blessings, but for him himself. And friends, that's why it's so important that as a church, we learn how to take our sin seriously. If we are to endure, we need the church to guard us, to help us so that if we are tempted in bitterness to bear bitter fruit of pursuing idolatry like Esau, that someone will come and grab me if I'm on that way. That someone will come and help me that someone will call me up, ask me why I'm not around, why I'm not walking with the Lord. These are serious warnings. Action for the church. Hebrews gives us such a serious warning about why we need one another. So if you're not a member of a local church, can you see why you need someone else? Can you see why you need God's people? As family members to one another, we join a covenant and make holy commitments. We authorize one another to take hold of our spiritual good, and even when it's inconvenient, painful. Fellow members of GBC, as we gather, we'll we tend to one another's hearts so that no root of bitterness grows up this can never happen if our time is spent keeping up appearances we never get to the heart of our walk with god personal holiness so how do we do this more friends confess our sins to one another pray for one another that we might be healed james 5 take time to be together to be known love one another deeply from a sincere heart pursue absent members restore them lovingly we should conclude friends endurance means we follow in the pattern of christ's own endurance as he faced hostility we know the purpose of discipline as god's sons for fruitfulness we practice spiritual endurance personally in relationships and as a church. The more time I spend with saints at GBC, especially those who are here and have walked with the Lord through a lot of pain, I see the fruit of endurance in godly character. I also see the scars that they bear up from following Christ. Their scars show the hurts that they have endured for Christ's sake. Christian endurance in this form is the furthest thing from the mechanical, repetitive, soulless droning of the energizer bunny. Sure enough, the saints keep going and going and going, and one day we will see the Lord. And when we see Him, we'll show Him the scars that we have endured. And the great reward on that day is that He will show us His. As we close, I'd like to share just some words from the poet, Edward Shilito, who reminds us of this Jesus. The other gods were strong, but thou wast weak. They rode, but thou didst stumble to your throne. And to our wounds, only God's wounds can speak, and not a god has wounds, but thou alone but to our wounds only God's wounds can speak and not a God has wounds but thou alone